well, I want to start with telling you about the trip that I'll never forget. Um, so what happens when you get married is you want to go on a trip called like a honeymoon or something. And it's amazing how it works. You bring one income with another income and it comes together and you have less money. Not sure how it works, but it does. So like we're going to go on this trip and we want to go to Jamaica, right? Well, Jamaica costs money and uh, we didn't have that when we first got married. And so what we did was we found a place in Jamaica in Negril, which is like not the tourist area at all. Uh, and we did payments on the trip. Um, if you have to make payments on the trip, you can't afford it. So we shouldn't have done that. So we go to the trip, uh, we, we fly, we're all ready, everything, it's amazing, it's gonna be an awesome honeymoon. We get on the plane, uh, we fly forever, we get off the plane, and then we're waiting. There's no luggage. Where'd our luggage go? And here's how cute we are. We were wearing tank tops that said hubby, and then and then she was wearing one that said wifey. So I go to the airline uh, place and I say, hey, um, so we're having a summer trip and it's, you know, our honeymoon. And um, don't know what happened. I gave you guys, uh, what do they call it? Oh, my luggage. And then I'm supposed to, you know, get it back. And that didn't happen. They said, no problem. And they give you this little bag um, that has a toothbrush, a terrible toothpaste. And they're like, we'll have this for what you need and just let us know where, this is what I need. And then they said this, and um, if you make any purchases, just save your receipt and then you can bring it back. Okay, that's cool. Say, so here's the problem, but we don't have money to make purchases. So we have, we have this one outfit that we're wearing this entire time. We go to this all-inclusive resort, all-inclusive, on a budget, and we open up the room of the hotel, and we're like, oh, it's almost a dirt floor. Awesome, this is great. Uh, then we continue to see what else is at this resort area. The food was not good. Um, anyways, the, it wasn't a great trip, except my wife and I were together. And then we, our wedding uh, was in July, and so it seems like every time we plan some type of trip in July, we make a terrible decision. Uh, and the year after that, after that trip, we eventually got our stuff back, and then I gave them the receipts. And I've still been waiting for them to send back the receipts uh, and the purchases. But the next year, we decided we wanted to go spend July in a yurt. If you don't know what a yurt is, it's a tent that they try to make cool. And so we did. It was in July in Palm Desert. Yeah. Here's how the planning went. I said, hey, babe, are you sure you want to go and spend a portion of July in the desert? And she goes, no, it'll be great. I said, hey, they have a cabin that has air conditioning. She goes, no, the yurt's going to be so cool. Well, well, it was about 100 and worse. And so we get into this yurt. And there's like brick floor, which I guess is fine, uh, but there's mice and spiders and ants, so they ate all of our food. Uh, there was no hot water. They had this outdoor bath. Nikki went to go get into the bath, and she's like, oh, there's no hot water. This is great. I pack up everything. I said, we're leaving. We're leaving. So we go to a hotel, still in Palm Desert, that we could afford at the time, and uh, it's around 4th of July, and then some noises start to go off, and Nikki asks, are those fireworks or are those gunshots? Now, gentlemen uh, in the room, if your spouse asks you that, here's your response. Those are fireworks. No matter what you know. <laughs> because you want her to go to sleep, and that's exactly what she did. While I stayed wide awake, and I put stuff in front of the door just in case I was ready. You know? But it was a trip that I, that I didn't... I didn't enjoy because a lot of things were unexpected. A lot of things happened that I didn't plan for, and, and I want to know how we respond when life doesn't go according to plan. 
I'm sure, like me, you guys have summer plans. You're ready to go, and all, things are going to be great, but things might happen that are a little unexpected. How do we navigate that portion of our lives? Uh, how do we navigate when we lose control? And if you're thinking that you don't have a control problem, you don't have control issues, why don't you take note of the next time you respond when someone disrupts your plans? We all have a little bit of control issues. And it may not be just a vacation. It can be a change in career that you didn't expect. It could be an immense loss of a family member. It could be a relationship that ended in turmoil. It can be heavy betrayal. It can be this unforgiveness that you're carrying within your heart. It can be something that happens in your life that you could not prepare for. And we always wish that we could prepare for the unexpected, but if we could prepare for the unexpected, then it wouldn't be unexpected. But what happens is the unexpected comes, and I believe there's a way that we should navigate and move forward with that. So that's what we're going to look at today. And preparing for this message, I said, I wonder what the internet has to say about preparing for the unexpected. And this is what they said. I read this article, and it said, when the unexpected happens, here are your three things you need to do. So this is it. This is the whole sermon. Accept it, don't think about it, and breathe. <laughs> oh, and they also said this one, um, act, don't react. Don't even know what that means. Don't, just don't even, I don't even understand it. So if we were back in Jamaica and I have my hubby and wifey shirt, act, don't react, don't know what that means. Everyone's like, you guys are so cute. And I'm like, no, these are the only clothes we have. So, so the internet says, don't think about it, accept it, breathe, and act, don't react. Well, I want to see what God's word has to say. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Psalms? That's where we're going to be throughout the series. We're going to be looking at a few psalms that I believe will be the compass for us in our faith as we navigate forward wherever God is leading us. And if you look through the psalms, there's, they're written by a few different people, and um, it's one of, one of the psalms we're going to look at today is written by David. And just as if you've ever read the letters of Paul, uh, some of Paul's greatest writing came while he was in prison. Some of David's greatest writings came while he was in the wilderness. So we're about to dive in into what David says and what God's word says about the unexpected. So at this moment, uh, David is in exile. Uh, he actually, he's, sorry, he's on the run, um, away from the kingdom. He's either running from Saul, who was trying to kill him, or running from his son Absalom, who was also trying to kill him and had a coup. And so we're not sure exactly the time frame, but he's running. Uh, so he's out in the wilderness, away from all of the plush and the green areas and the beautiful flowers and the lakes and the water and everything. He is now in the wilderness and there's nothing around him. Maybe you've felt this before. It's complete isolation. It's just solitary confinement, desolated, you're afflicted, you're wanting, you're wondering, and you're in pain. Maybe you can relate already with this Psalm of David. And this is how he begins. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Uh, you have to know in the Judean wilderness, you would get throughout the year about one inch of water. So David is saying, my outside experience and my outside view of what I see in the place that I'm at, the outer desert, is revealing my inner experience of my heart. This, God, is how my heart feels. I look at the desert, there's nothing there. God, I feel like, where are you? And he goes on. But I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your glory and your power because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. 
David essentially is saying, much like Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, if I have you, I have everything that I need. He goes on, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And he goes on, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. And then one of his most famous phrases, he says, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Uh, That line is all about being submitted to and hidden in. God, I'm submitted to you and I'm hidden in you, so I'm protected from other things. Then he goes on in verse eight. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. See, I believe God wants us to to realize something when it comes to the wilderness that we may be facing, when it comes to whatever we may be walking through, when it comes to the unexpected, when it comes to life not going according to plan. In everything that I do, I must prioritize seeking God first. No matter what it is. How many of us want to experience more of God? You can raise your hand. Raise your hand. A few of us, not all of us, that's fine. Uh, No matter where you're at in life, if you just found out about Jesus today, if you just found out about him 10 years ago, you've been walking with God for 37 years, I promise you there is more. Some of us came to God like I did in a desperate area of need. I said, I I have some some mental things going on, spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever it is, and you came to God in that place. However, we haven't graduated from that place. And if you're here today and you're saying, I I think I'm, I'm good. My relationship with God is good. That's not the God we serve, but there's so much more. That there's so much more. You should be finding out more and more about God every single day. And think about the relationships that you have with the people around you. Think about the relationship you have in your family or, or your spouse. You continue to learn more and more about one another. Some of the stuff you're like, I wish I didn't know that about you. But you learn more and more. God says, I want you to learn more and more about me. And you will fall in love deeper and deeper with me. This is why David starts, remember he's in the wilderness, on the run, either from Saul who was his king or Absalom who was his son, and he's terrified and he still cries out, God, you are my God. He said, there's a reality of your presence and your authority in my life. Talk about when things don't go according to plan. David in this declaration, God, you are my God, he's saying, God, I don't care if you interrupt me. I want a divine interruption. And maybe in your life right now, that's what you're seeking. That's what I'm seeking. God, I need a divine interruption. You may feel like life is just going on this rut. It's just one thing after another. And you're saying, God, I need a divine interruption. Just know sometimes God interrupts in ways that we don't fully enjoy. But it's still for our benefit. He said, God, I see your presence and I see your authority. You can interrupt me. Then he says these words, if you're taking notes, I seek, I thirst, and I long. If you want more of God... Begin to pray that way. God, I seek, I thirst, and I long. I have a deep yearning within my entire body for you. My whole body longs for you. He said, God, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, David in the wilderness, if he wanted water, he'd be looking for any evidence of moisture and then possibly be able to take that as some type of water for for him to continue to go on. He's saying, God, I, I will search, I will seek, I thirst, and I long for you in the same way as I would look for evidence of moisture. I'm looking for evidence of who you are. I'm looking for evidence of everything that you have stood for, everything that you are speaking to me right now. I'm looking for that evidence so you can speak to me. Earnestly, I seek you. Depending on your translation, you may see early in the morning, I seek you. 
For David, he's saying, God, if the sum of all creation is God waving hello, I don't want to miss one moment of it. God, I will do whatever I need to do. And maybe that's, that's something each of us need to begin to contemplate and think about. I understand that everyone's a mor- not morning person and not everyone is an evening person, but you need to be somewhere in the middle. If you're just like, I'm just not a person. Well, <laughs> come on now. But, but are you having times when you earnestly seek God? I want to give you a task for the summer. Are you ready? Find God in this moment. That's it. No no matter where you're at, you're on your way to work. God, I want to meet with you in this moment. Because earnestly I seek you. I seek, I thirst, and I long. God, I need you right now. You're dropping the kids off to go to a camp. God, I seek, I thirst, I long. I want to meet you in this moment. After they get out of the car and the silence enters my heart, praise the Lord. Right? I need you in this moment. I seek you in this moment. I believe it's passages like this that would cause God to say, a man after my own heart. I shared a little bit about this last week, but I wanted to kind of unravel a bit more of it. Uh, that, that wording comes from actually a, a rabbinic idiom. You know, like an, an idiom, essentially, you know, it's, it's saying something with this, with this beautiful language. That idiom is man in the mirror. It's literally, look at the little man in the mirror. It's the reflection that you see yourself when you look in the mirror. And are you happy with the person that you see? God says, he's a man after my own heart. He is a man, the little man in the mirror. Because, because God says, I, he is so close to me that he sees himself. You see, my wife has this amazing thing about her eyes. She has blue eyes, but because I get close to her, I know that there is this gold ring around her pupils. God says, I want you to get so close to me that you see all that I am. That rabbinic idiom, the little man in the mirror, literally means you get so close to someone that when you look into their eyes, you can see your own reflection. God said, he is a man after my own heart because when he looks into my eyes, he sees himself. And when I look into his eyes, I see myself. I see him in me and he sees me in him. God says, are you willing to be that? As we go through the summer, as we go through this season, I know there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be different things that are happening. But if we can say, God, I just want to be a man, a woman after your own heart, that I could look at you and see me. Man looks at what people do. Scripture says God looks at the heart. I seek, I thirst, I long to experience him and to become more like him. If we can start with that, your life will be drastically different and everything will begin to change. But the thing is, we're not always longing for God, but we have to know what we are longing for in this season. What am I longing for right now? Like, what do you have a deep yearning for? Is it more? Is it less? Is it beauty? Is it fame? Is it bigger? Is it better? Maybe it's just quiet. Maybe it's just peace. Maybe it's a better relationship. Whatever it may be, does it satisfy Because I can tell you, I have longed for so many things and received those things and they haven't satisfied. Much of our life is is spent us looking at two different options. Imagine you're extremely hungry at this moment. And I have two tables up here. One of them is a slice of bread. It's actually the end piece, the crust, the butt as we called it in our family. The butt of the bread. And it's dried and a little moldy. And then on the other side, you have some homemade sourdough. It's warm. 
They put seven sticks of butter on top of it. There's a little bit of sugar and some brown cinnamon or yeah, whatever, you know, fancy good stuff. But what happens is, is we choose this. I'll say if you're still choosing the moldy, rotten, crusty bread, it's possibly because you are not seeing the goodness that God has for you. And one of the things that I've begun to pray is actually out of Psalm 119, uh, verse 37. If you have Bibles, you don't have to turn there. It's very brief, but maybe circle highlight if you are going to turn there. It says this, if you're desiring only the crust of the bread and you're missing out on what God has for you, pray this, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. And he goes on, preserve my life according to your word. Maybe our eyes have been focused on the wrong thing. We've been longing for something that God says, that is not for you. And I've learned in my own life, I know that I have found God and I found the beauty of who he is when I long to know more of him. And maybe that's us in this season. Out of everything we long for, God, I just want to know more of you. And I want to become so dissatisfied with the absence of you that I can't even live the same. That everything about me changes. I start to get grumpy when I'm not in the presence of God. I start to get hangry because I just want to feast on all that, that God is. And when his word and, and what he has for me is faithful and it's good and it's true and it's powerful. God, that's what I want in my life. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. And the best part is God is glorified in that longing. One author says it this way, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You want to pursue some type of intimacy. You want to pursue pleasure. If it's, if it's God, you go all in for it. All in. You can tell people, I'm pursuing pleasure in this season. What? Well, in God, yeah, I'm going all out. And people will think that you're insane because you'll, you'll find yourself start to say no to certain things that you loved saying yes to. And you'll start to say yes to things that you always said no to because you said, I just want to get in the midst, in the presence of God. I seek, I thirst, I long. There is nothing else that will ever satisfy. That's David in the wilderness. He would have loved a meal. He would have loved a cold glass of water. He would have loved someone to bring him grapes. But he said, God... I'll be satisfied in you. Your love satisfies me. It's that word we talked about in flash theology, your hased, your hased, your compassionate, loyal, covenant love. That satisfies me. If we can be that satisfied in God, your life will be unstoppable because the enemy will try to tell you other things. Hey, have this, do you want to try this? And you're like, you kidding me? The butt of the bread? Compared to the goodness of God? It's not even a comparison. And here is the difficulty. We're trying to find satisfaction in things that God did not provide for us. And we're consistently dissatisfied. And what I'm learning in my own life is that any ounce of sin, no matter how small or how great, it diminishes my capacity to experience God. I want to say that again. Any amount of sin, no matter how great or how small, diminishes my capacity to experience more of God. And so whatever that is in your life, and we all have it, by the way, just because I have a mic does not mean I'm perfect. Whatever that is, God is saying, you're missing out on the best that I have for you. 
And if you've ever heard us talk about discipleship or spiritual growth or sanctification, all of that can be summed up in this. It's increasing my capacity to experience God. And the enemy will do whatever he can to just get you a little tiny taste of God and think that's all he has for you. That's it. Hey, hey Marcus, try this. It'll be better. You'll feel good. I want to be so dissatisfied in the things that the world has for me and completely satisfied and secure and found in the love that God wants to offer. But where do we begin? It's being reminded of what God has done in the past. It's, it's being reminded of God's faithfulness and drawing strength from that. And why is that important for us? Well, it's because life is, is a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. There's good days and bad days and turns and winds and circles and loops and everything else that'll make you want to upchuck. You're saying, God, is this ever going to end? But, but you see, the, the person that created the roller coaster, there is a designed end. So you get to a certain point when you can breathe. Or if you're like me, you just watch the roller coasters while your nephews go on them. Oh, having fun. Cool. 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 Okay, I'll watch. I'll wait in line. But that's life. But it comes to a designed end. And I need to know that throughout my life, on the midst of the roller coaster that life is, that God has a designed end for me. And he says, Marcus, you're going to go through this situation, but where, Marcus, where your control ends, God's direction begins, and then I find joy in his faithfulness. And so I say, all right, Lord, <laughs> I'll buckle up. Here we go. I know that this is not going to be forever. And, and I truly feel that as we were preparing this message this past week, that, that God wants to speak that to someone today. Whatever you're facing right now is not going to last forever. And I know it feels like it. And I've been in those seasons, in those moments, when I'm thinking, God, will this ever end? And he speaks yes, because he's faithful. And it ends for your good. And the good of those who love him according to the purposes he has for them. God has a designed end, so we trust in his faithfulness. In fact, this is why the people in Scripture, when they're talking about God, they would speak this about God. In fact, this is what God speaks about himself. The authors of Scripture would say when we're defining who God is, we call him abounding in love and faithfulness. You see, what's so fascinating at this moment, uh, Moses is on the top of a mountain, and the rest of Israel is down at the bottom of the mountain. Aaron and, and the other Israelites throw some gold into a pot, and out comes a calf, and they're worshiping the calf. Here's the one who got us out of the, is going to get us out of the wilderness, who, who got us out of Egypt, and they're worshiping an idol. And God says, I'm going to pass before you the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's who I am. In the midst of your wilderness... Abounding in love and faithfulness. That word faithfulness is a really powerful Greek word, emet. It speaks of sturdiness. Um, it speaks of faithfulness. And it speaks of truth. In fact, we read in, in scripture that when Jesus does come back, uh, that there will be two words on him. Faithful and true. And that's who God is. He says, you can trust that. Paul in Romans 15 says, the reason Jesus came is a response of God's faithfulness on behalf of God's faithfulness. That's why he is here. So you can trust that whatever you're going through, that God is gonna be faithful in it because that's who he is. This is why David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I know I've seen you there. It's most likely the tabernacle at this time. 
God, I've seen you there, and I've seen the power that can happen. But this language that's being used in the Hebrew, it's actually this idea of God giving him a vision of here is what it looks like when you are in the presence of all of my glory. And God says, David says, I have seen you there, and I will make a tabernacle in the midst of my wilderness. And for some of us, that's what we need to do. In the midst of what you're walking through, you need to make a place where God dwells. We read in scripture that a closet can be a sanctuary. We read about Ezekiel that he made a sanctuary in the midst of Babylon when everyone else was away and apart from God. We read David making sanctuary in the wilderness. We see Paul making a sanctuary in the midst of a prison. We see what happens when we say, God, this is the wilderness, but I'm going to bring you in the midst of it. Daniel in the lion's den, this is my sanctuary. God wants to meet with you in your car, your elevator, your ride to work, wherever it may be. He says, this can be a holy place because I am a holy God and this is a holy moment. Will you be satisfied in that though? I saw him in the sanctuary, I beheld his power and his glory. Talked about this last week, his weightiness of all that he is. Your love is better than life. If I can get to the point when I can realize that this is what God wants to do for me, I can stop accusing him of the very thing that he can't do. There's something that God can't do, and I accuse him of it all the time. In fact, maybe you do as well. I've said, God, you have this. You've done this. He says, no, I can't. His his word says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I think that God has left at times. God, I'm in this wilderness. This situation has happened. God, you must have left. He says, no, I'm I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I can't and I won't. So I'm here with you. That word word leave and forsake is this idea of loosen. I'm not going to loosen my hold on you. I'm not going to unfasten you from my security and I'm not going to abandon you. So you look all throughout the Bible, the central promise of God is not that God simply is love. It's not that God simply will forgive you. It's not that God, God is, is, is residing in heaven. It's not that God is, is residing in your heart. The, the central promise of God is that he will never leave you because he's always with you. From start to end of scripture, he says, I am with you. In fact, when Jesus comes to earth, what is his name? Emmanuel, God with us, the central promise of the Bible. This is why all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you see the line, I will be their God and they will be my people. That is the heart of God. He desires you. He says, would you desire me? Do we desire God as much as he desires us? I I tried to count how many times that I found that language I will be their God and they will be my people. I I literally lost count because it happens all throughout scripture. And he says, I have this deep and genuine love for you. If I can get to the place where I, I fully believe that every aspect of my life is of immense importance to a holy, powerful, loving God, I believe my life would look different. God values you. God can't wait to talk to you, can't wait to see you, can't wait to hear from you. He can't wait to be near you. But we have to welcome him. Say, God, you're here, so here's my sanctuary. God, here's my heart. God, I've tried everything else, but you're my firm foundation. Your word says you won't fail, so you're not gonna fail me. 
but, but it's tough for me to believe this at times because the people I've trusted the most have often hurt, it, hurt me the most. You're thinking, God, is, is that you? I'm just waiting for you to do something wrong to me. And he says, no, I'm, I'm always going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to hurt you. In fact, I love how the Amplified Version uh, speaks on this verse. It says this, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. This is, this is not just a promise, this is a fact of who God is. There's songs about this. Never give you up, never let you down. Uh, you're welcome. You're right. This, that's God. That's, he, he won't. He won't turn around, desert you. Right? He's going to be with you no matter what. And in the midst of my belief of who God is, if I know that his withness is with me at all times, I can't help but respond with praise. That's why we begin our week in worship together. And as, as the worship team leads us and our hands are lifted and we're singing, we can't help but respond that way. But I feel for many of us, we've stopped singing because of this word that I've learned from my beautiful wife and her studies in psychology. It's called habituation. Habituation. Think of the word habit, habituation. Um, It's this idea of simply where you're no longer experiencing what you once felt because you've experienced this event, this thing, so often that it's become normal. It has a diminished effectiveness in your life because of the repeated exposure. I believe we have spiritual habituation. Where we think, yeah, yeah, God's good. He's shown up. You pray, God, would you, just, would you just fix this problem? And he fixes the problem, and you're like, yep, there he goes, always doing what he does. You just get so used to him being him. And we forget to praise. We forget to worship. This idea of habituation, it's, it's like when I lived in uh, Madeira, in the Central Valley, I lived, uh, my apartment backed up right near a railroad track. And when I first moved there, I was like, how am I going to sleep through this? This is insane. The entire time, it was wild. The big cargo trains would just go by. Uh, and after a few months, completely forgot about it. I would have friends that would come up and visit me. They're like, how do you deal with this? I'm like, deal with what? They're like, the railroad track. I was like, oh, dude, totally forgot about that. I just got so used to it. We come in. The worship team starts playing. I'll take you at your word. And you're like, yeah, if he said it, I will believe it. Yeah, because he's done that in my life. That's good. Don't need to sing about it because I just know it's true, you know. Yeah, so I'm good. We've gotten so used to the power and the beauty of God that we've treated him as normal. And my prayer is through this summer, as in this idea of our summer playlist, that we would say, God, I'm not going to treat you as normal anymore because you're supernatural. And you show up in my life as a simple way to say, I'm with you. I think of in Genesis chapter 9, God is speaking to Noah and he says, I'm going to put in the sky the rainbow and it's going to show you my covenant with you, my covenant with man, my covenant uh, between, between us together that I love you and I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to flood the earth again. I can imagine Noah coming out day after God said that being like, look at that rainbow. Woo, hallelujah. Day two, eight, rainbow again. Come on, God is good. Two years into it. The rainbow, man, the rainbow's cool. That's awesome. Three years in. Getting too old for this. It's a cool rainbow. We've done the same thing with God. My 
My prayer is something within our heart would say, I seek, I thirst, I long for a God who always shows up for me, who will not leave me. And when you think that he has left, maybe God has simply lowered his voice. And just like we would lower our voice when we're talking to, to kids or talking to, to a loved one, sometimes you lower your voice so that people will slow down, lean in, and listen. And God, in this moment in our lives, he may be lowering his voice for us to cut out all the noise so we can hear his heart. And I believe at that point we respond with praise as David did. He says, I will glorify. I will praise you. I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with singing my mouth. Will praise you. I don't care if I'm in the wilderness, God. Even in the midst of my affliction, I'm going to praise you. I'm done being silent about it. He said, I'm not going to do the whole, I'll pray for you. No, I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, I'm going to lift up my hands right now. Oh, I'm just going to spend some time with God. No, I'm spending time with God right now. I'm not going to wait for it. There's going to be a public display of my worship. That's why you see us clap and lift our hands and shout glory to God because he is amazing. I can't help but glorify him. And I wish that every time I walked into this room that my life was perfect and, and everything was dandy and, and everything looked amazing in my life. So I'd just be like, God, I'm going to glorify you because you're always good. Sometimes I'm like, God, I'm going to glorify you when I feel like I need to shout at you. God, but I choose to glorify. Lift my hands. God, I'm done treating you as normal. I'm going to worship you and praise you. I seek, I thirst, I long. And we're talking about David, the one who, when the Ark of the Covenant, just the God box, we like to call it, came in, he ripped all of his clothes off and started dancing. And then Michael, his wife, says, uh, hey, why are you doing this? And he goes, oh, God's presence? I'll become even more undignified than this. It doesn't matter. If God is with me, I'm going to go crazy. It doesn't even matter. I love God that much. I want to be with him that much. I want to hold him. I want to experience him. I'm going to praise him no matter what anyone else says. Because when I think of God, I think of his character. And I'm reminded that he's always with me. One of the things that uh, my wife does for me is if she makes a lunch or, or wants to remind me of something, she'll put a post-it note right on the sliding glass door that we walk out of, and it'll be like, grab your lunch, I love you. Or hey, don't forget to take out the trash, I love you. Or you forgot to do the dishes, I love you. You know, whatever it may be. But it's this post-it note reminding me that she loves me. And I believe that God is giving us himself and his miraculous power and his withness and him just showing up as a post-it note saying, I'm always with you. Always. That's the character of God. Here's another post-it note. And maybe even on your dashboard, you just need to write a post-it note. I'm always with you. He'll never leave me or forsake me. God's always with me. Maybe you need a post-it note in your Bible. Maybe you need a post-it note just in your heart and your mind knowing that God is always with you. That's who he is. And God wants to restore everything that you've experienced in a relationship with, with people in the world. And he says, that's not how it goes because I have everything for you. David goes on, because on my bed, I remember you. I think about his character. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. God, when I wake up in the middle of the night or I can't even sleep, I'm gonna fill my mind with your word. God, be with me. God, you're always with me. So be with me in this moment. But as I said, sometimes we like to be satisfied in other things. 
and it diminishes our capacity to experience God. So some of us pray the most common prayer, the most common prayer that maybe we don't even like to admit. God, don't look at me. God, don't be near me. Because I'm about to do something or I already did something that you're not proud of. God, don't look at me. But what did I say? The central promise of scripture, God wanting to be with us. It makes me think of the beautiful image by Michelangelo. Um, It's called the creation of Adam. Or some would even call it the wooing of Adam. It's this image of God reaching out for Adam. And when Michelangelo was painting this, um, he had to arch his back and look straight up, and it took years um, to the point that it damaged his eyes so much that he would actually, if he was handed a note to read, he had to read it like this, extended. And after all of the pain and the effort of, of drawing this picture, he would write one night in his journal, I am no painter, I am no artist. But I look at this picture and I believe God was speaking something that we should know. You see, in the time that this was painted, um, anytime you would see angels, they were, they were there in such a way to be reminded of swiftness. This is not God being steady. This is God moving toward Adam, surrounded in the glory of all that he is. And if you notice the strength of God's arm as he's stretching, notice the muscles uh, being extended as he's reaching. The story of scripture is not simply people desiring to be with God, but God desiring to be with people. And as he reaches out, I look at this picture and I'm reminded, I'm Adam. I am the one God reaches for, also the one who has free will. If you look at Adam, his posture, he's laid back, kind of relaxed. God is in his presence. It's almost as if it's an unfinished painting because we don't know if Adam reaches. I wonder how many of us have just stayed in this posture. Or do we look like David? I seek, I thirst, I long. God, if you're in it, I'm there. I'm learning in my life, my desire for God can ebb and flow. But God's desire for me is constant. And he's always there. And you are the one God reaches for. So when it comes to what I'm going to look like in this next season, my prayer is I seek, I thirst, and I long. And you would have the image of God reaching for you in this season of our lives. And then we close out the psalm as David did in verse 8. I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. Church, I believe that God wants to do a new thing in all of our hearts within his church And if this could be our declaration for this next season, I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. I believe God is going to open up windows, open up doors, open up opportunities, open up experiences of his presence that we could never find anywhere else. But he says, cling to me and watch what I can do. The beautiful thing of God is that he comes for us. The only thing that gets in the way can be us. Because the truth is, God shows up where he is wanted. And do I want him that much? Let's pray together. God, as we come to this moment, Lord, with a new season, a new opportunity to develop our deeper relationship with you, my prayer is we would cry out, I seek, I thirst, I long, because we're in desperate need of you. 
So God, even right now within our hearts, for those of us that have been thinking about making this decision, those of us who have been wondering if there's more of you to experience, God, remind us today that there is more. And although that that our lives may ebb and flow when it comes to our desire for you, that you have desired us continually and constantly, and it will never end. So God, we need you. Be with us. Let our hearts be changed forever. And church, if you would just uh, pray after me, let this be something we remember. Um, God, I seek, I thirst, I long. Teach me to be satisfied in you. Amen.